This episode of the Beauté Industry Podcast was brought to you by Private Label Skincare. Hello and welcome to the Beauté Industry Podcast, your online support community for the professional beauty industry. I am your host, founding director of Beauté Industry, Tamara Reid. Here, we are closing the competitive gap and speaking your language. This is a platform created and dedicated to the professional beauty industry, valuing community over competition. We serve to help connect you with inspiration from industry experts, expand your knowledge through educational pieces, and bring you the latest in product and technology innovation. This is Beauty Industry. Today, my guest is Dr. Davin Lim from Curtis Clinic. I am sure Dr. Davin Lim has graced your social media feed by now with his down-to-earth educational YouTube videos on treatments and skincare, all the way through to his Instagram skin school or his dog on Sunday featuring his Jack Russell Terriers. But for those who don't know, Dr. Davin Lim is a specialist certified dermatologist who is trained in cosmetic and laser surgery anesthetics. Dr. Davin is ranked in the top 1% of cosmetic specialists worldwide as voted by his patients and his peers. And in 2015 and 16, he was also placed in the realself.com's top 100. Dr. Davin Lim's work is a self-proclaimed fusion of art and science. His treatments are individualized and bespoke, designed to rejuvenate and enhance his patient's appearance to create a natural looking result and a patient's best self. He believes that every journey, whether it be one treatment or a series, should always start by gaining an absolute understanding of what the patient wants to achieve. Davin's sterling reputation is perfectly mixed with a fun and relaxed attitude that makes Dr. Davin truly world-class and a really fun person to interview today, which you'll hear. From Curtis Clinic, here's Dr. Davin Lim and I for Beauty Industry. Dr. Davin Lim, welcome to the Butate Industry Podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Um, we were just chatting briefly offline about lockdown and um, freedoms <laughs> uh, for some of us, you particularly, in um, up in sunny Queensland and me down in now Melbourne in the lockdown. Um, how has the last couple of years treated you personally? Oh, yes. I mean, apart from COVID, but um, yeah, don't get me started because uh, Queensland is relatively free from COVID, but we're moving very slow when it comes to vaccination. So we can see the arena, not only in New South Wales and Victoria, but, but the rest of the world, including Israel and Singapore, and we're moving at a snail's pace. But sooner or later, we're going to open up and then the you know proverbial will hit the fan. So yeah, <laughs> just waiting. <laughs> Exciting times ahead. <laughs> Um, hey, we start all of our podcast episodes, um, not actually on the topic of lockdown, but on the topic of how you entered um, your profession. And so I'd love to kind of revisit that with you. How and when did you get started in aesthetics? You would not believe this, but just yesterday marked the 20th um, year I traveled. Uh, so I left, <laughs> believe it or not, September 11th, 2001 for my training in uh, Ireland in overseas. Uh, as a dermatology registrar. So I was mid-flight when 9-11 hit 
So oh my goodness. That, that's why I do not forget that day because, I mean, everyone remembers where they are, but this was like a mid-flight. So as I, as I exited the flight, the flight was um, to uh, Dublin and I had a stopover in Singapore. Um, and then when I stopped over in Singapore, the flight was halted because at that stage, you know, the FDA in, in, um, in the uh, US banned all flights, which meant um, Ireland... Uh, banned inbound flights as well. So I was stuck in Singapore for four days. So that's when my dermatology career began. Oh my goodness. Wow. That, that is such a crazy story. I know. And it was just yesterday, I was just going, man, it's been 20 years to the day. Um, you know, it's just like two days ago. Yeah. But just 20 years to the day from when I actually packed my bags, went to Ireland. So I did my dermatology training there for uh, nearly two years as a registrar. Uh, then I came back to Australia for a year. Then I went back to the UK for a year. Then I finished off in Australia. And then from there, I went to um, the US. So I learned surgical um, in the US and um, some of my laser uh, accreditation in, uh, from, in countries like Malaysia and Singapore. That way, I mean, I don't regret traveling all around the world. Um, I, th I think it makes you a, a more rounded uh, dermatologist, a more rounded doctor, um, because we get to see skin diseases and how the healthcare system works in each different country. So if anyone whinges that, you know, Australia really sucks, wait, wait till they go to the <laughs> NHS. And then the people at NHS don't realize sometimes that uh, they're pretty lucky as well. So I think I've got a balanced, um, view I would like to think I got a balanced view of the healthcare systems throughout the world so mm, well traveled is um <laughs> is pretty amazing and look to be stuck in Singapore Singapore's one of my favorite places so you got pretty lucky there it could be worse <laughs> yeah yeah I mean Singapore just just aside I mean the dermatology there is fantastic I, I used to go there for lectures and I still lecture there but it's um <laughs> it's a good place to be and the the standard of practice there is very very high so I'm very fortunate because, um, you know, in the context of dermatology, after I finished, I had some really, really cool and really good uh, guidance from a lot of mentors like, um, you know, Greg Goodman, uh, Phil Beckor. They've been instrumental in how I train uh, and, and how I actually approach um, the field of dermatology. These guys never stop learning. So, um, you know, being mentored by them uh, and, and just following them and, and the thought processes, the publications and all, you, you kind of get, you're kind of lucky that way. So I'm, I'm very fortunate <laughs> to have these guys at that moment in their career where they can make such a big influence on someone as junior as me. Yeah, so. absolutely. Do you, um, do you like when people come to you and uh, I mean, do you even um, have people ask you to, to mentor them now, given your kind of success in your career? <laughs> Yes, yes. So I, I do. Yeah, every every week. I've in the last couple of weeks, I've had a um, dermatology colleague uh, come by. I've got one tomorrow. I had one last week. So I think it's yeah, whatever goes around. So I think it, it's good to um, you know to, to um, pass on the skill sets and pass on the knowledge. Yeah, pay it forward as well. So yeah, yeah, and and uh, and having colleagues there, it's a you know a. a, a so it's like fresh air, yeah, um, because it's it you get someone to bounce ideas uh, back and forth, and um, yeah, it is very refreshing. 
Mm. And mentors are much more accessible these days through the likes of social media. I mean, you're pretty, um, you know, loud on social media and, and definitely um, kind of a lot more proactive, but um, it's, it's so easy for people to slide into the DMs and say, hey, and just quickly ask this question than it used to be trying to find a mentor and formally kind of apply with them. Hey. No, no, absolutely. Um, you know, we, I guess it'd be, it's both, uh, you know, a pro and a con as well, because there's a lot of crap out in social media. And it's hard to, you know, I guess I would say on Instagram, on social media, everyone's a frigging expert. <laughs> yes. You've got, you've, got, you've got Google, so you've got your computer in front of you in whatever piece of information, whether it be trivial or what have you, um, someone's going to find it and go, I'm an expert. So, <laughs> so you know, it, it's great in that way where I guess uh, this exposure but then also you've got to take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt, especially in social media. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in terms of, of your Instagram and YouTube, I have done a little bit of stalking. Um, <laughs> and the way that you explain things is super, super simple for anyone to be able to understand, but very informative at the same time. And, you know, you kind of go on that gray area between like B2C talking to a client and also B2B talking to professionals. Um, there are a lot of professionals who want to do the talking, but they're super shy, you know, perhaps introverted. Um, how do you approach those videos? And, you know, how do you go about keeping it light and informative, but still getting that relative information for a client to understand? Yeah, I guess the main thing is when, when you do a video, that's why I say when you do a video, when you go out there to talk, whether it be the lecture circuit, webinar, even doing a post on Instagram, what I think makes this good for the profession is that generally speaking, if you're confident enough to do that, generally speaking, you probably want to do some background research on the topic. So that makes you a better overall clinician. So if I'm going to talk, for example, on, you know, on, on acne medication and this new retinoid, I've got to bloody well read up on it because I'll be shot down uh, if I say the wrong thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it can be good in a way where that is forever. I mean, when you talk about CPD points, forever in a day, you're continually developing your professional curriculum uh, because every day you've got to dig out the journal articles, you've got to do some research. Um, so when you do that, I guess it gives you a little bit of confidence, right? Um, and confidence to, to, to put, um, I guess, pen to paper or type something out or talk about something mm -hmm. when that happens and you go, wow, you know, this people are listening. It, it might take, I mean, for me, <laughs> you know, when, when it came to YouTube, literally I did, oh, I don't know, maybe about a dozen videos and the growth was in certain areas were good, but then some were not that great. And then you think, you know, I've spent so much bloody time doing this and no one's listening, but then, you know, it's just a drop in that pond and then that ripple hits and then at six months, just, oh, geez, you know, people are actually listening to me. And same with the Instagram. It's just exactly the same thing. You might do post after post and you think, well, no one's really paying attention. They may not, they may not be, but you put good content out there and people can decipher what's good and what's not. And then over time, you build a, um, you build a following. Um, so I, I think it's, it's just one of those things, persistence um, and, and confidence. And the only way you're going to do that is just to get the content out there. Like you got to be disciplined enough mm -hmm. to, to try to do a good piece of content every day and, and 
you know, if you're really motivated, probably a video a week, if, if you can. But that takes a lot of work. Yeah. But um, at the end of the day, I think it's really good for personal development. Yeah, absolutely. You're just putting yourself out there, aren't you? And as you said, I think it's very imperative that people do know what they're talking about before jumping on because <laughs> people will come for you and, you know, and people aren't afraid to say, actually, that's wrong. Or yeah. I believe it's this instead. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. So, and you will be, I mean, I will be, I've been, I, sh- I get shot down every day, <laughs> but, then, <laughs> but then when I look at the comments, it's like, eh, okay. So it's almost, it's almost bulletproof now. So. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So take me back to um, your career. We were talking about before um, your love for travel and the fact that you did travel quite a lot. And in fact, you were one of the first Australians to be trained under the Irish Association of Dermatologists. Yeah. Um, Do you think (laughs) that the first, yeah. Do you think that um, it's going to hinder dermatology, uh, you know, people who are studying at the moment because they can't? study uh because they can't study of course they're saying because they can't travel yeah i mean <laughs> with dermatology in fact look we, they just had their exit exams just uh last week as so a last saturday last sunday they had their exit exams and it's never the same as having a real life meeting uh having a real life meeting having just the clinical stuff is it that's gold besides when you when you travel and you meet people look i guess there's two two ways i see things this COVID thing is a blessing in disguise when it comes to consuming knowledge. So every, <laughs> I know this sounds pathological, but every every night at around 2 to 3 a.m., um, I, I watch a, um, the MCAS videos uh, or a lecture from um, a, you know, a webinar. So every night I'm, I'm watching some lecture. Now, this is all because of COVID, right? And, and if it's not for COVID, we would be traditionally practicing the same way, going to meetings. The downside about going to meetings is that if you're in a really shit lecture and you sit down for the first lecture and you've got three hours ahead of you, especially if you're near near the front, it is downright right, rude to actually get up and leave. So basically, you got to go through three hours. And during that time, you may absorb only, I don't know, maybe 15 minutes of good content, but you've wasted three hours or two hours, 45 minutes and stuff, which may not pertain to your, I guess, needs, or, or maybe the lecture is not, you know, to the standards of what you perceive um, that they should be. Fast forward to COVID days, and now we've got webinars, and we can fast forward. I mean, you usually can tell within the first one or two minutes whether the lecture is going to be good. Mm. So what I'm saying is that now, because of COVID, I'm binge-watching lectures. It's almost like binge-watching Netflix. But... but <laughs> It's almost like a sponge where every night you're basically soaking up um, new information from <laughs> all the other webinars and all the other meetings in the world. And pre-COVID, this does not happen. It's just traditional. You go to a lecture, um, you know, you mingle. Certainly the social aspect is very important because you're making connections. The other thing as well about remembering, um, and this is kind of important, is if you try to have some kind of emotive background and, and associate, um, you know, that particular point or that particular lecture, you tend to rem- remember it a lot more. So certainly if you go to a really good lecture, the, the ambience, the atmosphere, the feel, uh, you tend to remember things a lot more compared to, let's say, webinar. So there's pros and cons. But now with COVID, I think it's, it's double-edged, yeah? We, we get to see a lot more stuff around the world, um, absorb a lot more go to many different meetings in, in just virtually one night. 
Um, but but the flip side, you don't have the emotion there. You don't have the connections, which I think are very important when it comes to real live um, meetings. Yeah. Mm, very true. Very well put. As you said that, I was thinking of all the hotels I've gone to to watch conferences, and you and you always remember that hotel smell. You know, they've all got yeah. their own individual smell, and that takes you back to another memory of another conference. Yeah, or even the food. <laughs> That's yes. what I say. Yeah, the food's very important. <laughs> <laughs> All the conference food. <laughs> After the break, Dr. Davin speaks to success and challenging what we know through advancing our knowledge. But first, a word from today's beauty partner. Community, are you looking for a skincare solution for your salon? I bet lots of you are nodding yes because that's one of the most highly requested questions that we get in our beauty industry Facebook community. Well, how about this? Why not create your own? With Private Label Skincare, you can have a salon range that not only supports your visions and dreams, but also your business financially too. It's easier than you think and with a range that is natural, vegan, cruelty-free and contains all of your favorite high-performance actives, it's a great way to show your support through your salon, retail and professional products. We'd love to show you just how easy it is by downloading the Skincare for Salons course, which you can receive for free right now by entering the code BEAUTE at the checkout at privatelabelskincare.com.au. That is a free downloadable course just for you to learn all about creating your own skincare range. So how cool is that? Thank you so much to the team at Private Label Skincare for making this episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast possible. And now back to Davin. Um, so talk to me about then the lead up in creation to um, Curtis Clinic. How did that come about? Oh, Curtis, Curtis is basically, as you know, that's Latin for skin. Um, so I was the founding dude for Westside Derm, which was the previous clinic. Um, look, the, I think with Derm, there's, there's often an overlap between medical and procedural, right? But the what I perceive is that the medical side of things and, you know, where we build our core knowledge, our core skill sets, um, you have this crossover of patients where uh, you want to, you, you just want to delineate, you just want to draw the line and go, okay, this is cosmetic, this is cosmetic elective, and, and this is medical. So on one hand, the medical, you've got your psoriatic patients, your eczema, you know, people who carry lots of staff, and and that ideally should be seen at another clinic. The, the, only, the only reason, pure, it's purely infection risk control. So it used to freak me out when, <laughs> when we used to have atopics there. So you know, people, bad dermatitis, who we know are, are staff carriers, and they're in the same waiting room using the same toilets as your fully ablative or, or laser resurfacing patients, which essentially, you know, <laughs> a third, third degree thermal burn. And it always used to freak me out, always used to freak me out because it's cross-contamination. So that's why I've actually uh, had QDIS as QDIS aesthetics and QDIS medical. And that way we can separate things a little. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. I've never <laughs> thought about that before. The ambience is a little bit different. I, I like the medical side of things. So my my forte is not the consulting room. My forte is in the, in the theatre. So, um, you know, whether it be injecting, lasing, peeling, that, that's my, um, <laughs> that's what I really like. Yes, yes. And so you have actually developed um, several new delivery protocols for cosmetic practice, uh, procedures. 
um, you know, like your TCA cross and your hybrid laser resurfacing. How have those changes come about and what kind of differences are professionals and also clients seeing with, you know, these types of changes and developments in the industry? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where if you're caught in the same pattern, like, for example, TCA cross, you know, I just published a um, paper in Derm Surge, one of the journals, and We've been doing this, well, I've been doing this, the same thing day in, day out for like, you know, five years. This was from 2005, 2006 to 2011. And you did the same thing, just go, you know, it's in the journal, everyone's doing it this way. Hey, you know what, there must be a better delivery system. And it's serendipity, you, you come across something and go, wow, this works a lot better. Uh, and then you do that, and then you do that and go, hey, this is the bomb. And then next thing you know, you, you're doing it for bloody 10 years. And then it's taken me literally nearly a decade to go, hey, maybe that delivery system, which I kind of invented like 10 years ago, really sucked. <laughs> How about we try a different technique? And you just go, wow, that's really good. And then you start using that. So I think it's it's just one of those things where we, we, we understand what's in the journal articles. We understand what's being taught. Um, but sometimes, you know, you've got to take that little time out to, to question stuff and just go, well, is this the best way we can do it? And then think outside the box. Sometimes when you're in a busy practice and you're doing the, I wouldn't say mundane, but yeah, it is. I mean, <laughs> when it comes to procedural, all your work should be mundane because the last thing you want to do, come into, you know, for example, if you're having surgery in your gallbladder and you have an excited gallbladder surgeon going, oh, cool, this is really good. I read something in the literature. This is my first time doing it. You want someone who just goes, this is boring as batshit. I've done this a thousand times. Um, you know, the more mundane you are, true, the, true. The, the more confidence that generally speaking, you've done this a lot before. Um, and when you're super busy as well, you, you fall in that general pattern of um, just doing things because it's just, it's automatic pilot. So sometimes I think, mm -hmm. like, for example, the COVID thing, I mean, pre-COVID, a good probably uh, one-third, at least one-third um, of my patients, between 30 to 40% came from either overseas or interstate. So you can imagine what happens. Even now, it's yeah. like my list, uh, instead of going from, you know, my procedural list, instead of going from three, four months, um, now they're at probably about six to eight weeks. Um, it, it's purely because now I'm servicing the uh, Queenslanders really, rather than interstate and international. So to get back to that is that when you slow down a bit uh, and you just go, it's not much, you just have to slow down 10% and you just question yourself and go, hey, you know, I read this in this article or I heard this in this lecture. What happens if I apply this to this and then <laughs> think about stuff? And then from there, you basically just go, wow, you know, there must be a better way of doing things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just the last, I guess, the last one year where I could start writing a lot of these up in, in, um, in journals and, and, you know, undergo publication now. So it's, it's, once again, it's just serendipity from a bad situation like COVID. You change it to a good situation and just go, well, um, you know, you can not reinvent the wheel, but there's, there's a more proficient way of doing things. Yeah, yeah, it's that silver lining. Hey, and I completely agree with you as therapists and estheticians, um, even our conversations, you know, are sometimes just so robotic and so repetitive. Yes. And I think a lot of the time um, when product companies or manufacturers train us in a device, we don't 
think of anything else. We don't really ask the what if questions or go down the rabbit hole. We kind of take that advice as just gospel and then we just do. Um, so I really like how you've got that curious mind, but I'm wondering when does your mind stop? Because you're studying all these things, you're doing all of these treatments, you're thinking what if, you're doing the Instagram. I mean, do you ever hit pause? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because I just came back from a run. Actually, I went for an 8K run just then. And it's funny because <laughs> just in the last last couple of weeks or last couple of months, I've got, I'm just thinking, man, I'm, I'm I'm kind of fanatical. I just get I need I need to, to know more. So I'm bloody listening to um to a to a podcast <laughs> while I'm running. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and, and then I'm thinking, oh, you know, as I'm running, I'm thinking, man, it's got I've got an extra 45 minutes, one hour. And I'm thinking that that's so cool. Now I can I can absorb maybe even if I absorb 20 percent of that podcast, it's still pretty good. So, <laughs> but just as long as you're enjoying it, I think it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a fine line, hey. Um, so tell me then, in your clinic, are you a more is more kind of um, person or do you think sometimes we just got to strip it back and, and um, go to the basics? Yeah, I'm less is more. <laughs> when my patients know it, my nurses know it, um, you know, I, I dermal fillers, um, neurotoxin, all that. I'm, I'm more of a, a small unit kind of uh, person and and. And I don't like the add-on. So, for example, like, you know, laser resurfacing or, or just doing a procedure, you, a lot of people will know <laughs> when I quote, you know, would you like to upsize that? Because in America, um, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff is like upsizing. It's almost like going to Macca's and they go, would you like a large fries and large Coke with that? Uh, so you have a procedure, for example, just give you an example, for example, microneedling or, or laser mm-hmm. resurfacing. They'll go, oh, would you like PRP? It's just like, yeah. yeah. Right. And, and, and if, if, if PRP makes a difference, for example, you know, people know that I'm against PRP in the context, only in the context of skin rejuvenation, not in the context of, for example, hair, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I think the evidence for that is much more robust compared to, um, uh, for example, dark circles or, <laughs> or reju. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with fat transfer. Yeah. Um, you know, I do fat transfer, but I don't like the nano fat transfers. It's just that sort of stuff where I try not to com- complicate um uh, things it gets hard because when <laughs> when I get um, patients from the US um, they're expecting all that mm. they go oh, what you're only going to subsize and just going to laser receptor get yeah <laughs> they go aren't you going to use like two or three different lasers I'm going to go well there's no need to I'm just going to use one I'll get to the bottom base of the scar mm. aren't you going to use PRP because my previous dermatologist used PRP go, no not really I don't think it works <laughs> it's like, yeah 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 and and it's just that it's just that yeah where, where you just go Oh, you know, it, it, it's hard, yeah, because you, once again, it boils down to social media because when you when they see a lot of this from other clinics, they expect that, hey, you know what, this is done everywhere else. Why aren't you offering it? Mm. Um, so then when you're asking about am I, you know, you know, more is more, I'm less is more, but I think, well, I think I know that sometimes that even though you want to educate people that way and go, you know, this less is more, <laughs> Uh, they they have that feeling that it's not enough. Uh, and once again, all because of social media, because other people are doing it. Yes. And they see that combination, combination, layer, layer, yeah. and go, yeah. oh, okay, well, you're only going to do this. Maybe they feel kind of like a half treatment, even yeah, though it's the best exactly. solution for them. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like, for example, I know a lot of my colleagues in the US, when they go for a, you know, rejuve or scar rejuvenation or, or scar um, treatment uh, modality, They'll add everything from, you know, the pre and 
a lot of patients don't need it. You know, they, they might add things like, for example, your tyrosinase inhibitors or your, um, yeah, basically bleaching agents beforehand, right? Or maybe even add a chemical peel beforehand. Um, <laughs> and then their, their basis is like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to keep your melanocytes nice and quiet. And this is why we're going to do it. In theory, yes, but in practicality, often it's not needed. Mm. Uh, and then you're going to have this pre-peel. I'm going to use some tretinoin. Um, it, it does matter when you, for example, trying to enhance the concentrate, enhance the activity of your second agent. For example, if you met Jesna's TCA, you want to enhance the TCA, you use the Jesna. Uh, if you want them to heal a little bit quicker or, or have an absorption, that's a little bit better when you're using low concentration, for example, TCA, you might want to use retinoids um, for the week or two preceding. Stuff like that makes sense. But it does not make sense when you're asking them or, or when you're going through a procedure where I'm going to take the entire bloody epidermis off right down to the mid, <laughs> mid-dermal mm-hmm. layer. And then you ask them to use a peeling agent to help with that bloody stratum corneum. I mean, it just does not make sense when you just go, you know, I'm going to compact the stratum corneum. I'm going to see whether we can get some better penetration. It does not matter. And it, it's true. It doesn't, you're going to take the whole bloody epidermis off anyway. So stuff yeah. like that. And then after that, you know, there'll be the um, all the shit and glitter, yeah, that the PRP, your your oxygen facials, your oxygen infusions. Um, and then after that, you know, your, your peptides, your copper peptides, all the kind of BS stuff that that people read about. And go, oh, shit, you know, this is really good. And the worst are probably stem cells. <laughs> it's just... Right. And... and I, it's I always before I bag something out, I always want to try it. So that's why um, <laughs> sometimes it's good to understand the limitations of something before you just go, this is bullshit. <laughs> totally. Would you um, ever consider starting your own range of skincare or you think there's enough out there? I'm starting now. <laughs> I'm oh. ashamed to say. Um, but no, no, no. It, it, I think it's hard because... I think when you're going to be ethical and you market skincare or market, you've got to do it from a clinical point of view. Yeah. And we know, and I'm sure, you know, there's only a handful of things which work and a lot of the other stuff is either borderline or or bullshit. Um, Mm -hmm. And as you know, you know, your ABCs, your alpha hydroxy acids, your salicylic acid, you know, your antioxidants, the CE ferulic acid and all the other botanicals and your tyrosinase inhibitors would be hydroquinone, your arbutin, your licorice, your all that sort of stuff. Mm. we know we can count them all in on you know fingers and toes that's it yeah mm. and that market is very saturated and and when you think about big companies like SkinCeuticals, l'oreal you know dermatological they've got a huge amount of experience and un- limitless budget mm. uh, if you're going to go for formulations that work and also formulations which uh, feel nice you're going up against these companies right and as a dermatologist, a lot of the stuff that I'm used to uh, are pretty strong stuff. Yeah, like for example, <laughs> my my TCA concentration, my chemical. I start at thirty percent, right? Um, that's my starting point, uh, and I go up to hundred percent. Most of the days, I'm using between eighty to hundred percent. Mm-hmm. My minimum is Jesna TCA. My minimum concentration of um, retinoic acid is between two to five percent. So. You know, and even the stuff like tyrosinase inhibitors, my, my minimum is 5% hydroquinone. I do go up to 10% cautiously and, and for um, intermittent periods. So all of this sort of stuff is, you know, it's pretty pretty scary stuff, yeah. And, and then my AHAs, you know, <laughs> even when I'm using AHAs myself, I'll be using a, a 20% with a 2% BHA and then layering a retinoid on top of that. 
But once again, it's calculated, calculated stuff. So I'm not a cowboy and give that to you know anyone. But so when it comes to skincare, um, I find it really, really, really difficult to to pare down that and just go, okay, cool. I've got to work for the I've got to work with the lowest common denominator and go. You know, who's this person who's going to use their, mix their, you know, go for a bloody scrub, use their uh, beta hydroxy acids, then layer their alpha hydroxy acids and their ascorbic acid and then their uh, retinol and then come up with this rip roaring rash of irritant dermatitis. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I have to work with that and, and, and then pare it down and go, oh, you know, one, and it took me, well, yeah, a bit, I guess, slow in this regard where, where as because of our core training, when we use skincare or do skincare actives, it's with purpose, mm. right? It's when we prescribe something like 10% salicylic acid, it's there to, to basically act as a exfoliant um, and, and treat your solar keratosis or, or decrease your um, keratin buildup. So it's all with purpose. And at in derm school, <laughs> derm teaching, plus with all my mentors, there's never the fluffy shit associated with the feel good factor of skincare. Mm-hmm. And I think in well, I think I know in this industry, it's probably ninety five percent feel good. And what what the what the brand represents, something cool like Drunk Elephant, for example, mm-hmm. with some fuzzy, you know, um, cruelty. And I'm saying cruelty free. I mean cruelty free. I'm all all for that. But you know, the, the cruelty-free slash vegan slash clean um, skin, <laughs> earth skin type stuff. It's yeah. what they represent. Um, and I am I have a problem with that because <laughs> if, I, if I look at my through ethos and what I represent, I represent the, you know, let's get shit done type. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's with powerful chemicals. So <laughs> <laughs> power we have. <laughs> so I find it, I find it very difficult. Yeah. Very, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You almost need a title that just like rip your face off in a bottle. Let's get shit done. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, well, see, you could, but then that's dangerous. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's all about what the marketing says, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> so I'm interested to know what are some challenging um, times you've had over your career? Obviously, COVID is one of them. I'm sure, as you said, you know, your wait list has gone from three months down to six weeks, which, yep. you know, has both pros and cons, but obviously nobody likes to decrease business. Um, any other challenging times that you found? Um, look, I, I think it, it's hard to say, yeah, because uh, the most challenge I probably have is trying to figure out what you like in, in your career. Um, I'm I like the clinical side of things. I'll, I'll be first to admit I don't like business. I hate business. <laughs> I, I hate <laughs> I hate talking about money. Uh, a lot of the times uh, I make really, really, really bad financial decisions, but I can I understand why. For example, you know, when it comes to lasers and understanding that sometimes I would go into a laser purchase. So I still on occasion, you know, buy lasers. Most of the time now I get given stuff, but still I do buy stuff and I buy stuff that <laughs> make us a quarter of a million dollars knowing that just not does not make financial sense. And my accountant will just go, you know, Davin, why are you, I mean, are you like stupid or, or what? I mean, this is just the return <laughs> of investment isn't there. I have to do that uh, because I have to, you know, it, it's a stupid, it, it just does not add up. It's, it's a silly way of, um, of understanding technology by going, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's not that great. I've just wasted this much money, but, <laughs> but then I can go on the podium or I can go on a, you know, on a, um, 
on a lecture circuit and, and um, sit there in, in front of a panel and just go and talk intelligently about that device um, mm. because I've, I've used it, I've maximized the use, I've tried it, um, not just delegated it. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that's the most challenging bit is to, is to actually understand your limitations. Um, and, and I'll still continue to do so, I think, for the rest of my life. Knowing sometimes my my um, financial decisions are not in the best interest of my accountant, um, but I still do so because I think that makes you more um, a rounded person when it comes to panel discussions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it gives you that validity because you've tried it, you've used it, you've got that um, knowledge behind you, and now you can speak from experience rather than just going, "Oh, I saw the before and afters, and I read the white papers, <laughs> and this is my experience." So I tried to get hands on 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 uh, you know on the on the new technology um, and and try to understand it. So and and part of that is I guess the part of the challenge is is finding that time where you just go well you know it, because as you know new devices come out literally every couple of months yeah mm-hmm. so even then you've got to go well you know will, will this suit my mode of practice and then elect to either use it or not not use it. Yeah, totally. Um, when you're mentoring people or just chatting to people in general about their career and, and their kind of pathway, is there any one theme of advice that you stick to that you'd love um, our audience to know? Yeah, I think it's extremely important <laughs> to stick to uh, or find a career pathway that suits you. Yeah, And I, I tell that to all the junior doctors who come in and they go, I want to do dermatology, but also I want to do, you know, something else like, you know, um, uh, cardiology or when to do geriatric medicine it's like you've got to pick what what your um strengths are and what what you really like for example my dad's my dad was a psychiatrist he's retired now um it's polar opposite compared to what i do his is all abstract yes certainly you do see you know um gestures and, and you can read people that way from their movements and all but um his is abstract it's about talking yeah you know? and for me everything's visual <laughs> there's very little in the way of, um, I mean, it is important certainly when, when it comes to certain conditions, but in the most part, everything's visual. You, you make your assessment visually. Um, so that suits my personality. I've got a, and I, <laughs> I like plastics, <laughs> but the problem being is that my concentration span and my maximum operation time is probably about an hour, uh, which mm-hmm. means, you know, when it comes to go to the breast recons and all that, I'm probably, this doesn't suit my personality. Um, yeah. but, but I'm always hands-on. So, you know, either plastics and <laughs> at first it was eyes. I was going, Oh, cool. Then I figured out I've got this problem being so intimate with people, you know, literally you're, you're two centimeters eyeball to eyeball and they go, <laughs> maybe if you have a problem with that, maybe ophthalmology isn't for you. So <laughs> I made that decision <laughs> early. All righty then. So focusing on, on, um, being a specialist in something and trying not to be a generalist in everything. Yeah, absolutely. And try to find out your personality. If you, if you like, um, you know, if you like doing stuff, uh, certainly something procedural would be really cool. And I did toy with orthopedics and I mean, I, I like, you know, <laughs> it's much like carpentry. I, I like the, um, the woodwork associated with, um, with, with orthopedics, but generally speaking, it's, for example, if you're a knee surgeon, there's only a certain way of, amount of, techniques you can employ to do a knee uh, and your technology apart from you know newer arthroscopes and and better titanium screws <laughs> which is very exciting i guess for an orthopedic, for orthopedic surgeon you know stuff like that the the technology doesn't evolve um anywhere near something like for example skin 
yeah, whether it be um, devices or, or injectables or what have you. So if you've got a short concentration span or, or if you like to like constantly like your professional life to be evolving, um, that's, that's probably wonderful. You know, my mentor, Greg Goodman, said to me one, one time years ago, he said, oh, you know what, Dave, you've got to reinvent yourself every 10 years. And, and I think that's true. Uh, I can see his career going from, you know, something like uh, surgery to, to, um, to, to lasers, to injectables. And same with me. I think it's just that as we evolve professionally, uh, it might take five years, might take 10 years. We go, oh, you know, we wouldn't say conquered it, but we go, oh, cool. We understand that. What else is there to learn? Mm. Um, so initially the skincare stuff for me, you know, as a derm, procedural derm, um, was not that important um, because as derms, like I said, we use very different um, chemicals uh, and the chemicals we use are very strong. Um, but then I think it's very important. That's why I, I read a lot nowadays in the context of skincare. Um, in fact, just, just then I, I messaged um, uh, Michelle Wong, you know, lab, lab muffin. And I asked her, she, she's yes. a good source because if a new ingredient comes out, I always ask her, I say, hey, Michelle, is this, is this good? She, she's very, very good when it comes to analyzing papers and all. So that saves me a lot of, um, I guess, bullshit reading because that to me saves time and which means I can absorb some other <laughs> some other material. <laughs> and then she says, oh, this is really good. Then I go, cool, I'm going to read up all about it and do my homework. So it's good to have buddies like that. And I met her basically through, through, um, you know, through social media and Caroline Hirons as well. You know, these people are gold. And, and if, if this, especially with, with Michelle, because she's so, so smart when it comes to um, mm -hmm. chemicals. Um, and, you know, we bounce ideas off each other. She goes, oh, yeah, what do you think of this? Is there any clinical indications for that? So that, we, we do a lot of podcasts and a lot of webinars together. Um, and, and um, yeah, I think having colleagues in that space is very important mm -hmm. uh, because... Now you don't get it. I don't get it right all the time. Sometimes I might think, oh, wow, this is really good. This, and, but then I miss certain papers and, or I may not read as, as in depth as what she does. Um, so I think for, from a derm point of view, our clinical strength, our strengths are our clinical acumen. Yeah. But then when it comes to our formulations and our real science, yeah, we do all the scientific background stuff, but then that's not our daily work. We, mm -hmm. we kind of do that in our primaries and we, we study that. Um, but then we kind of forget that. Um, but we know what happens when chemicals hit skin. So that's, <laughs> that's our forte. Yeah, totally. Oh, I love that so much. And I love the collaboration. That's what we're all about here at Beauté, you know, and, and this industry can be very isolating. So um, it's nice to hear that even the likes of people like yourself, you know, dermatologists who we would look at and go, well, they know it all. You know, you're still cross-referencing with other people in the industry, which is Oh, 100%. Cool. I mean, I, I know what, I know the traditional stuff, but even cutting edge stuff where, where you go, oh yeah. And the good thing is that when, when we see, uh, I guess, a chemical or, or being applied to skin, we see what it does and we can understand that. But I don't have that knowledge to go, you know, the, the, the chemistry side of things is that, you know, the stability of this, or how is this chemical created? How stable is it from, from a different pH? Mm. That I think is probably the, the cosmetic formulators, the cosmetic scientists, they have a much deeper uh, knowledge compared to what I have in, in that context. And I, I, I don't pretend to even have anywhere near that, concept, <laughs> that knowledge. But then, you know, things like, for example, parabens and fragrance, we see the clinical side of that as in the, you know, allergic contact dermatitis, what it looks like when shit hits, hits the fan when it comes to, you know, paraben allergy or fragrance allergy. 
And then we go back to the books and go, cool, where are these chemicals found? And then um, give the patient information based on that. So we're very good at, uh, I guess, the de detective work with that. And we're very good at extinguishing the fire. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's our forte with that. Amazing. Devin, thank you so much for coming and having a chat with me today. I really appreciate all of your time and um, all of your honesty, as you always are. And um, we'll point people to all of your Instagram, as I'm sure they are already following. But um, if they're not, they can go and find you and, and um, yeah, follow up on some more of those cool videos. Cheers. Hey, thank you very much for having me on board. Yeah, really appreciate it. Likewise. Okay, cheers. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Isn't Dr. Davin an absolute rock star? Getting off that conversation, I felt like I needed to be 100% more productive than I have been because the amount of learning and upskilling that man does all while being in front of the camera on his socials truly astounds me. If you're new to the Dr. Davin Lim world, I highly recommend you go and spiral down the rabbit hole by searching for him on all of the social media channels at Dr. Davin Lim and let us know your thought on today's conversation while you're there by tagging us while you're listening at Beauty Industry. And hey, if you want to go that step further and have a chat or even feature on the podcast yourself, come and let me know by popping into my DMs at Tamara Reed Beauty. Until next time, stay connected.